you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Hey everyone, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hello, everybody. With two days to go until the NFL draft, welcome to the Move the Six podcast presented by FedEx. And for DJ today, I am Rhett Lewis here with the guys, Bucky Brooks and Lance Zerline. And we are inching closer towards... The draft, the path to the draft is getting smaller and shorter, uh, which only means the intrigue is building. The buzz is building. And uh, guys, welcome. Glad to have you with us. Uh, was it, there's some news today that happened anywhere? Anybody see that? <laughs> Just a little bit. Just a little bit of news. Yeah. And not necessarily draft related, although we could see some ripple effects when the Tampa Bay Bucks get on the clock uh, in, with their various selections because they have pulled off a trade. Rob Gronkowski going from retirement to reuniting with Tom Brady. Patriots and Bucks agreeing to a trade that will send Gronkowski in a seventh rounder to Tampa, uh, which nets the Patriots a fourth round pick in return. All those picks are for this year, 2020. So, I mean, guys, first off, this is awesome. Um, we've been asking Rob Gronkowski whether he was going to return forever. Now we know he is. Um, Bucky, and, and not bad for the Patriots either, getting a fourth-round pick for a retired player. No, not not bad at all. And, you know, I think people were surprised that they didn't necessarily get more. But I think it puts them in a position to use that fourth-round pick uh, as some currency to maybe move up and around. Uh, this is a team that has a lot of uh, – pieces that they need to replace. Obviously, they lose TB12. Uh, you talk about Rob Gronkowski, their team that has gotten older. Uh, there's some playmakers that they need to add. And so as we head into the draft, they're able to get rid of a player that didn't play for them last year, get a fourth-round pick, which they could flip into moving into range to get a, a, a better player, maybe a blue-chip prospect. It will be interesting to see how the New England Patriots kind of parlay this as they rebuild and retool their team. Yeah, I think, you know, looking at this, to, to be honest with you, I know the, 
initial assessment's going to be, that's Rob Gronkowski. But really, that's Rob Gronkowski who hasn't played football for a year and who wasn't going to come out of retirement to play with anyone else. So you really didn't, your options were pretty limited if you're um, New England. You can either get a draft pick for him or not get a draft pick for him. It was that simple. And if you're going to get a draft pick, I think they got pretty good value in return, to be honest with you, when you really think about where he is in his career and uh, what you're able to get. And I think it... It's a testament to Bill Belichick because instead of playing games with Rob Gronkowski or saying, no, I'm going to be bitter about Tom Brady, it wasn't that way at all. He's pragmatic. It's, you know, this is a guy in a different division now, and uh, and he knows he's in rebuild mode, he's, or at least retooling mode, and he needs all the picks he can get. So I thought he was very pragmatic in terms of the way he approached this. Yeah, it sure didn't seem like Rob Gronkowski was ever going to go back and play for the Patriots if he decided to come back to the NFL. Felt like that point was pretty clear, and now he wanted to go and play with his pal Tom Brady, and that was really the only way that it was that he was going to get back into the NFL if it was the right situation uh, like that. I mean, really interesting to see how fast this developed. You know, we said this afternoon we start hearing that there have been discussions, and then boom, like 15 minutes later, the deal's done. Gronk has taken a physical. Uh, he's going to play for his one year and $10 million that's left on his contract. It felt like this was kind of in the works, Buck, for a little bit uh, once Tom Brady signed. It, feel, it felt like it was in the works, but I think we should probably expand the conversation a little bit more because now what, what happens, how, how are the dominoes falling for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? So now you have another middle-of-the-field playmaker to go with O.J. Howard and Cameron Brate. Uh, you wonder, will they hold on to both of those tight ends, Brate and Howard? Will they right. use... Um, Rob Gronkowski as a designated hitter, like a guy that kind of comes in, jumps in and out of the line Red zone. as he gets better. But more importantly, now with that 14th pick, if you're the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and you've already gone all in on, hey, let's build this offense around Tom Brady, the only thing that's missing is a slot receiver. So does that mean that at 14 they're looking at Justin Jefferson? Justin Jefferson. They're looking at somebody else that can come in um, and give them – Everything because if they get another receiver to go with the weapons that they have and then come back in the second round with a running back, I mean, this is a video game like offense that Tom Brady has at his fingertips. Yeah, and you know, the the thought is that they'll that they are there's there's rumors around the league that I, I know teams are saying the Patriot or the uh, Tampa Bay Bucks are digging around on getting inside the top 10, and I presume that would be for an offensive tackle. I mean, that's the natural assumption, that's where the tackles live inside the top 10 this year. But, you know, you make a good point because it, it could be, hey, let's get our own, our choice of who we want to be the wide receiver here. Because when you think about it, Tom Brady protects Tom Brady. He needs functional pass protection. That's all he really needs. So they may not be in any, it might not be a rush to get, it might be a rush to get a different position. It might not even be about offensive tackle, even though that is a position they could use, but. Yeah, I mean, that, that all makes sense. And we, we've kind of talked about them maybe trying to get a tackle even if they stick and pick at 14. But, boy, a receiver would be something. I mean, you trot Jefferson out there with Godwin and Evans and, and Gronk. And now, as DJ said, uh, all they need now is to go get Clyde edwards Elair in the second round. And then, man, you've got, a, you've got an offense for sure. Um, Red, the thing is, you're looking at like a version of the Golden State Warriors when they got Kevin Durant. Yeah. And we don't know where Rob Gronkowski is in his career, but – I mean, sometimes the best defense is a good offense, and their offense is lights out. I think the interesting thing will be looking at how the rest of the division may make some moves to make sure that they can cover the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, It hadn't been in the conversation because obviously teams didn't have to think about, A, do we need to have kind of like an eraser or a big guy in the secondary that can match up with the big tight end? But now if you're the New Orleans Saints, do you have to maybe think about man, do we need to add another player that can complement Malcolm Jenkins as a safety? Do we need to have another guy in the bullpen that can play that role that we've seen some DBs play where they just kind of line up and match up with Rob Gronkowski? I know it's the 11th hour heading to the draft, but I do wonder if general managers and directors have to have that conversation like, hey, guys, we need to gear up to make sure that we can beat the teams within our division, and now that team to beat might be the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Wow. 
that's I mean, it's crazy how fortunes can change so quickly, at least on paper uh, in the NFL. I guess all we need now for the Bucks is to go uh, get Vince Young out of retirement and have him call this team the dream team. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's, that, that's the only thing. Because, that's not what you need. Yeah, because right now on paper, uh, they're, they're, they're the paper champs for sure. Hey, Lance, yeah. real quick here. Mm-hmm. Um uh, you know, they get a fourth rounder in the deal. They've already got, what, three third rounders the Patriots mm-hmm. do after their first round selection. That could be a kind of a sweet spot area for this tight end class, right? If they do choose, not like they were going to, not that they're truly replacing Gronk because they didn't really replace him last year either. But could, could you see a tight end there for the Patriots in, in, in that range? Oh, I absolutely. And I think uh, Harrison Bryant fits him, fits that team really, really well. It's not as big as they typically like, but Harrison Bryant has that type of demeanor. I think Adam Troutman has some Patriots to him. Devin Asiasi, I think, is a big athletic guy that could that could be, you know, in the mix, maybe third or fourth. So, yeah, I absolutely think that that tight end. Once you get to the third and fourth round, that's where the Patriots, I think, can maybe do some damage at the tight end position. And then conversely, we didn't talk about this, but I, I you know, this might be might not be evergreen for the. Uh, for the, for the podcast, but I honestly do believe that OJ Howard is going to be the next man out and they're going to add some more, you know, trade compensation, uh, or rather some draft capital. I think the Tampa Bay bucks, which could allow them. Maybe that's part of a move up. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's interesting. That's so crazy. OJ Howard first round. Like, yeah. First round pick pick three, three years ago. yeah, Yeah. That they can move on from, but he's a talented player, but I think it speaks volumes that the New England Patriots had their choice of taking O.J. Howard or a fourth-round pick, and they took the fourth-round pick. Yeah. Uh, wow. I mean, that, uh, that, that does, right? When, when, when Belichick can't seem to find a place for you, you know, knowing that he tries to accentuate the strengths, um, I guess that, that would say something. So, uh, unfortunately, who's Belichick tight yeah. with, by the way? Who's Belichick tight with? Nick oh, Saban. Nick Saban. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So makes you wonder a little bit. Uh, it's good connecting the dots there. And uh, Lance, with that, we will uh, bid you adieu, my friend. Uh, but we'll be back with you as we do some of our recap episodes following the first uh, couple of nights of the draft. Uh, we'll be excited to have you back on here with us. Thanks for hanging out with us on the Gronk. We got much more coming up in this episode of Move the Sticks. Uh, we're going to get into some of our safest and riskiest picks in this draft. We'll get into some guys we feel like might be a surprise first rounder, and then also look at the depth of a couple of the class, a couple of the position groups. Uh, uh, looking at offensive linemen, wide receivers, cornerbacks, how many of those guys end up going on night one, and who are those bubble characters that could get into the first round or maybe be end up being day two picks within those position groups. Uh, so all that is just ahead. But first, Bucky, I want to dive into this, the news that Ian Rappaport had mentioned about the Giants spending a lot of time researching Oregon quarterback Justin Herbert, which is interesting because, of course, the Giants took Daniel Jones, number six overall last year, and by all intents and purposes, seemed satisfied with his play as a rookie, even though he struggled a little bit. Um, he's certainly a lot to like there from what we saw in Daniel Jones's rookie year, poised to you know only improve into year two. So why then would a new head coach, a new coaching staff, want to spend that kind of time, time that perhaps, Bucky, they could have spent you know, finishing up uh, on guys they're, they're more likely to draft, but spend this time with Justin Herbert. Lay it out for me. You know, Red, this is part of a process that every scouting department goes through. Uh, regardless of whether guys are directly on your board or in your line of sight in terms of guys that you really want, you still want to make sure you do the background and the research on everybody because there are a couple of different things at play. One, you never know how the draft is going to shake out. And if a talented prospect just has a, a sudden slide, for instance, Justin Herbert suddenly finds himself in the second round, well, maybe he's too valuable of a commodity to let him get past you. So you want to have that research. Secondly, free agency happens for every player that is in the draft. Whether it's four or five years down the road, you want to kick the tires. Joe Judge comes from the New England Patriots. The New England Patriots have collected more former first rounders than any other team that we can imagine. They do a great job of finding discarded 
number ones, adding them to the team and finding a way to have success. A lot of the research that they've done on those number ones, those former number ones, comes during this time of the process. So some of Joe Judge and the Giants kind of get to know you with Justin Herbert is not necessarily for the 2020 class, but it's for what could happen down the road. What if Justin Herbert plays four or five years in a spot, is let go? Well, maybe they want to bring him in as a backup quarterback down the line. Because you've done all the research, you know about the character of the kid, you know how he learns, you know the family, the process, and all of that, you feel very, very comfortable doing it. So really, the Giants should be commended on dotting the I's and crossing the T's in the process because being thorough in this process may help them parlay Justin Herbert or some other prospect into a very, very valuable commodity down the line. No question. What sounds juicy uh, in the report can also, you know, be tamped down a little bit by how (laughs) the whole draft process works for scouts and evaluators and front offices, uh, obviously doing all of their due diligence. But it's, you know, it's the quarterback really that makes it pop. Because if you said they were they were doing some research on a running back, well, fine, they're going to get somebody to, to team up with Saquon Barkley. You know, it's really the quarterback that that drives that kind of conversation. So it is interesting, but a uh, great way to explain it right there uh, from Bucky. Let's get into the uh, the first round a little bit. Um, a couple of different ways. I mentioned the boomer bus picks. These are always interesting, right? A lot of times it ends up being the quarterbacks here, Buck, that have, you know, that, oh man, that high ceiling, that potential. And then, well, whether it's fit or lack of development of the skill set at the next level, they end up, you know, not uh, producing to what you would expect from their draft slot. So let's start, though, with the safest picks that we'll see in the first round. A couple of guys that you think could fit the bill. Day one starter. Not going to plug and play, not going to worry about him, put him in the lineup, let him go. What makes sense to you there? The first guy that comes to mind to me is an offensive tackle from Iowa, Tristan Wirfs. And one of the reasons why I will kind of claim him the safest pick is because when you look at him athletically, he checks off all the boxes. You, there's no doubt that you're getting an A-plus a athlete on the perimeter, a guy that can run, a guy that has body control and balance. Uh, we've seen the athletic exploits that he's been able to display uh, at the Combine. And then you think about his pedigree. He played at Iowa. Iowa has a reputation for developing offensive linemen. Kurt Ferentz is a longtime uh, offensive line coach, and we have seen lineman after lineman come out of that program and have success in the league. And so when I think about hitting a double and making sure that I don't mess it up at the top, I want someone who has the physical attributes, who has the instincts and intangibles, and who's been well coached at the position. Uh, I think Tristan Wirfs is probably one of the best ones that we'll see when it comes to being able to check off all the boxes. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I'm going to stick with another offensive lineman, Jedrick Wills. I just feel like at the right tackle spot, man, get him in there. Let him let him road grade for you on the right side. And um, I, you know, I think he's a surefire top 10 pick to me and uh, a guy that should perform as such. Another guy that I'll throw out at you that uh, I'm going to guess that you'll agree with is Jerry Judy. Um, a guy with that kind of skill set, a technician at the wide receiver uh, position, you know, a guy who runs routes like a seasoned veteran already, preposterous suddenness at the top of his routes and getting off of press coverage. That that kind of guy wins in the NFL for me, and um, I would feel really good about taking Jerry Judy. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned Jerry Judy. Uh, Rhett, in the last couple of years in the National Football League, the guys that have, have popped immediately have been the route runners. Guys that in college were well-schooled, came in with a, with a pretty polished game in terms of being able to run routes and consistently get open. They may not have been the fastest or the most dynamic playmakers, but... They're very, very consistent in terms of their ability to get open. I think of Cooper Cup, who we had on Path to the Draft years ago, talking uh, about his run-up to the draft. The one thing that we knew about Cooper Cup is he was a fantastic route runner. Those guys tend to play very well very early in the league. So another receiver that I will mention from the SEC, and I'll say Justin Jefferson. And Justin Jefferson was a two- or three-star recruit coming out of high school. He has really worked his uh, his way into being one of the more polished route runners that we've seen. And when you add the versatility, being able to play outside and inside with having strong hands and being tough and being a route runner, 
man, he goes to the right spot. You just know that he is going to be able to play the position at a high level for eight to 10 years and really not uh, give you any worry about his ability to pick up first downs and do this stuff. So when I think about those safe picks, those safe picks are the ones where when you pick him, you can write him in the starting lineup and know that for the next eight to 10 years, he's going to be a very, very productive player. I love that. Um, so does Jerry Judy at all, not necessarily uh, true comparison, but the the polish that he's got, does he remind you at all of Amari Cooper coming out? I think they're kissing cousins. And I think the thing that you will discover when you talk to Jerry Judy, Jerry Judy talks about Amari Cooper because Amari Cooper was one of the first South Florida receivers to make his way to Alabama. And he kind of created a bit of a pipeline going from South Florida to Alabama. Jerry Judy would tell you that Calvin he looked Ridley. up to Amari yep. Cooper and, and wanted to mimic and imitate the way that he played, uh, how consistent he was in a real nondescript manner. I think the, the similarities between Amari Cooper and Jerry Judy extend beyond just route running. Both guys are quiet, but they just go about their business. And I think there are a lot of coaching staffs to take comfort in knowing that the guy that we're about to bring in the wide receiver room is a worker. And worker bees have a have a way of kind of translating very, very well to the league. Well, and I feel like that, I believe it was the 2015 class when Amari Cooper came out, is maybe the best description of this safe slash risky pick debate at the wide receiver spot where you had Amari Cooper who had the polish, maybe not the flash of a Kevin White who came out with all the raw talent in the world but lacked that polish. And clearly, you know, we, we saw uh, that the safe pick, safer pick, if you want to call it that, was the right pick that year in Cooper rather than White. Yeah, no, it, it, it is that. And, and Rhett, you now, know he had this. The injuries. Having... Kevin White had the injuries and oh, all for that sure. too, but – for sure, but you know, just having played the position at the, at the collegiate level, like the one thing about wide receivers is uh, the wide receiver position from an evaluation standpoint. You have to make sure that when you're evaluating receivers, that you're evaluating them in the position that they're also going to play in the pros. Like a lot of times, we make the mistake of looking at a number two or a number three receiver and projecting him to be the lead horse, to be a number one receiver, and I think. Some of that um, kind of brings Henry Ruggs into the evaluation. There's a lot of conversation about him being the number one uh, receiver taken in the board. Well, he may be the first wide receiver to go, but it's important that the team that takes Ruggs understands exactly who he is. What he has been his entire career at Alabama has been more of a complimentary playmaker, uh, a sidekick to Jerry Judy and others, not necessarily the focal point of the passing game. And sometimes when you ask a guy to go from being kind of a backup singer to the lead singer, they're not necessarily equipped to handle that role. And so when we're ranking these wide receivers, it's important that not only that we evaluate the talents, but we put oh, this is the role that he should play because this is the role that he also played in college. Yeah, that's part of the reason why I went with uh, Ruggs to the Niners in my mock draft there. There's just so many yes. other pieces on that offense that wouldn't have to be the guy in that spot. Uh, okay, so not saying he's a risky pick, but it does lead us into the riskier pick discussion. Which prospects in this year's draft represent some risk for you? Uh, the one that I struggled the, the most with uh, in this process has been LSU's edge rusher, Caleb Von Chasen. And the reason I struggle with Caleb Von Chasen is because I see the talent. The talent pops off the screen. Uh, excellent first step quickness, great burst, um, man, almost like a superhero-like athlete in terms of his movement skills. Um, he has been able to really disrupt and create chaos and flashes during his time at LSU. However, you would, you would think that a guy that is a five-star athlete like he is, he would have more production and more disruptive plays. And I know LSU had a bunch of talented defenders, but uh, in theory, you would like to think that a guy that is expected to be a double-digit sack artist in the pros would at some point in college get double digits. And so when we talk about him being one of the top edge rushers, I worry about him being drafted to be kind of like a dominant pass rusher, but he hasn't necessarily shown those skills. And I think sometimes when we project, we put these things like it's, it's a guarantee that guys are going to improve rather than seeing them for what they are and grading them saying that if this guy never changes, this is exactly who is going to be in the league. Um, 
And so with him, I just worry that he may never live up to what his draft status is ultimately going to be. And we do kind of expect that at this point, at least, to be in the teens as the second edge rusher off the board. Although I don't think it would surprise anybody to see Yatour Grossmatos in there in that conversation, in that range, A.J. Epinesa, um, especially with, with how things have, have shaken out with evaluators and trying to get the buzz and just having limited opportunity to get a better feel for this class with that in-person uh, communication. So I also had Caleb on Chase on, on there as my uh, one of my risky players. I know he had the season-ending injury, right, the beginning of 2018. And, and, you know, perhaps that's part of the reason why we didn't see some of that, uh, that full potential realized in his final season at LSU, but enough to perhaps make him a first-rounder. Um, look, Jordan Love is, is, the other, is the other one to me. You know, I think um, we end up having a quarterback like this in every year. But how many of us sat here – you know, what was it, three years ago and said that Patrick Mahomes, what a risky pick, right? You know, high floor, low ceiling, you know, gosh, he could throw for for 40 touchdowns, but could have 25 interceptions, you know, that kind of thing. Oh, the Brett Favre, you know, how do you tame it? There's a little bit of that with Jordan Love, and I think that's actually a compliment. Um, I think it just, it speaks to his ability and and, you know, for evaluators to recognize that ability and potential and get enamored with it and think that, you know, we can figure out how to rein him in. We can figure out how to limit the interceptions that led FBS last year, um, you know, and we can figure out, you know, why he struggled learning a new system or dealing with the lack of, um, of playmakers that they had there because of all the departure from the year before. Um, how do we best surround him and make him better? I feel like it's easy to fall in love with Jordan, no pun intended. Um, but I, I don't think that it's without risk. And I think that's, that's that way for a lot of quarterbacks. It's got to be it's got to be the right system, got to be the right fit. Yeah, no, it, it, this is something that I learned from, uh, man, one of the guys that I worked for for a long time. And he said that you have to grade the flashes because if a guy flashes the talent, he certainly can reproduce it. However, in Jordan Love's case, I think it's very, very important that the team that takes him really study the 2018 tape. In 2018, he's completed 64% of his passes. He had 13. 32 touchdowns, and only six interceptions. And the reason why that tape study is so important, if I'm an offensive coordinator, I want to see what he did during that year that enabled him to have so much success. And why was it drastically different from 2019? And the great coaches and coordinators, they only ask their guys to do things that that work really, really well for them. Think about Nick Foles and what Nick Foles was able to do in Philadelphia, but he hasn't been able to do it in other places without Doug Peterson and the like. For most of the league, and I've said this on the podcast, I think I've said it to you before, 85% of the league uh, consists of system players, meaning guys that have to be positioned in the right system to maximize their talents. There are only a handful of guys that are transcendent players that can pretty much do their thing in any system. Jordan Love is a guy that the the coordinator and the quarterback coach are very important because they have to make sure that when they take him, they put him in an environment that really plays to his strengths. If he does that, he very well could pop like Pat Mahomes. If he doesn't, he could be one of those guys that is just a big miss that we say, man, I can't believe someone took him so high because all the evidence was there that he was going to be a turnover machine. No question. Um, I also think like you could include, and it's not the last time I'm going to mention a position group as a whole, but I, I also kind of feel like the last offensive tackle taken in the first round could end up being a risk, yeah. whether it's the sixth or the seventh, only because, you know, maybe a team's worried, you know, about missing out on a guy that they feel like they got to take him in the first rather than wait to the second. So maybe you're placing some higher expectations on a guy uh, that may not be as deserving, but I feel like that could fall in there as well. That definitely could fall in there. And I think uh, one of the names that we've talked about on Path to the Draft has been Isaiah Wilson, uh, the tackle from Georgia. Isaiah Wilson is a guy, by all accounts, most would say that he is a developmental prospect based on the way that he can play compared to his teammate, Andrew Thomas. However, there's a fascination with his size, his athleticism, and what he could be. And even though imagination should come into the draft process, um, at some point you would like to see enough visual evidence on tape to kind of back up maybe the high grade that you give. I think for Isaiah Wilson, I think the possibilities have outweighed like the performance. And because of that, I'm worried about him being a boomer bust pick. 
I, I'm with you. And I think that's going to lead us right into this next discussion I want to have uh, in on, on the first round and trying to paint a better picture of how we see it playing out by kind of looking at a couple of the deepest position groups uh, in this first round. And, and offensive tackle is is the one. I mean, like we could see more tackles go in this first round than any other position uh, in this draft. In fact, I, I almost expect it. Um, so I, I'm curious to see right now, we'll do it with tackles, we'll do it with receivers and with cornerbacks as well, because I think we have a chance to see, you know, five, six, at least four of each of those position groups go off. Um, hey, maybe, maybe seven tackles. So that's where we'll start. What, how many ultimately Offensive tackles, considering the depth and the quality of this class, Buck, do you think go off in the first round? I think we have seven offensive tackles at a Woo. minimum go in the first round. Uh, and part of this, Rhett, is because we've talked about the depth of the draft. Um, I think because everyone is afraid of missing because of the different circumstances, I think they're going to find comfort and safety. And, hey, at least I know that this guy is going to be a solid starter, even if he has some flaws. And when we've talked about the offensive tackles, like we talk about the big four over and over, Jedrick Wills, Tristan Wirfs, Makai Becton, Andrew Thomas, like whatever order you have those in, we know those guys. So what's five, six, probably, seven? Yeah, so five, six, and seven, you talk about Joshua Jones, Austin Jackson, Ezra Cleveland, and then I'm going to throw Isaiah Wilson in. And those last four guys, there are things that you like about each of them. Uh, Austin Jackson is extremely talented, probably one of the most, if not the most natural left tackle prospect in the class. Joshua Jones is terrific in pass pro. We saw his feet. People soured on him a little bit based on the combine performance, but when we saw him at the Senior Bowl, look, he was fantastic. Terrific. Um, Ezra Cleveland played most of his final season at Boise with a turf toe. And so when you see the early tape, you really like what he does. He's able to move around. He's a zone-based blocker. He can protect and all those things. And then Isaiah Wilson, who we just talked about, checks off all the boxes from a physical standpoint, but you just haven't seen the production. If you weigh that position and you weigh the pros and cons of maybe even missing a little bit on a tackle, it may outweigh the risk of taking another position like an edge rusher where we know uh, how many of those dominant guys are there at the bottom of the first round. Uh, with cornerbacks, there are a ton of cornerbacks that can play, but man, when you think about the pivotal positions in building a team, quarterback, offensive tackle, pass rusher, corner, like if I'm going to fail, at least fail with one of those marquee spots because it says that at least I was trying to build the team the right way. Okay, so if we're giving Becton, Wirfs, Wills, and Thomas surefire first-round selections, Austin Jackson, definite first-rounder to you? I think, I think Austin Jackson is a definite first-rounder. I think Joshua Jones and Ezra Cleveland are right on the border. Uh, I think more teams than not will have them in. And then the last one will be Isaiah Wilson. Isaiah Wilson is kind of like the wild card of the class. But right there you have eight. So I'll take my chance. Like, oh, NBA basketball, like yeah. three to make two. Um, give me eight to make seven right. <laughs> when it comes right. to first round, first round picks. And, and I, I think that's, um, you know, as we try to project the first round, you know, all right, so let's say if there's seven or eight tackles. Like we're going to get one less of a different position. To me, you know, like defensive tackle could be, you know, like does Ross Blacklock fall out of the first round because we get an eighth tackle? Yes. You know, like that's part of the conversation. Yes. Does the running back position fall out entirely? Because of the tackles, those were the decisions I was having to make when I was filling out my mock. Um, and I ended up having Ezra Cleveland in there. I think I only ended up with six tackles. But, um, you know, I and, and I put Isaiah Wilson in there. I just did the buzz that you guys have been talking about that's been building about him. Felt like a nice Seattle Seahawk to me. Big, powerful dude over there on the right side to fit up with those uh, those big fellows that they've been um, that they've been you know, corralling and, and bringing in up there. That, that kind of made sense to me. But um, I, I think it's, you know, this will be one of the best offensive tackle classes we've seen in a long time. If we get six, seven, or eight, um, could be some uh, quality guys up there at the top of the second uh, as well. So you mentioned cornerback, um, you know, as one of the marquee positions, certainly today in, in the passing times that we live in. Outside of the first two, it gets pretty interesting. And the opinions are kind of all over the board. So ultimately, set the table for us with how many corners you expect to see on night one. 
Well, so the, the the interesting thing about the cornerback class is Jeffrey Okuda and C.J. Henderson are a notch above the others in the class. Like, uh, most would rate those guys top 10, top 12 picks. Like, they should hear their names called by the, by, the, by, the, by the time we get to the 12th pick, both guys could be and probably should be gone. Then you get into this Tier 2 class where you have A.J. Terrell, you have Christian Fulton, you have Trayvon Diggs, you have Jalen Johnson, you also have Jeff Gladney that has been in the conversation. And you're trying to sort these guys out. Um, the guys that I believe for sure are in the first round, I believe A.J. Terrell is a lock to be in the first round. Um, I think Fulton is in that conversation and Johnson. Really? I think Christian Fulton is going to work his way. I know people are worried about the confidence and maybe in big games like he didn't necessarily display it. But then, man, when you watch him play, like there's a lot – to like about him, and he's right on the fringe in the 20s. Um, I think the guys who could, Trayvon Diggs, because there are people that worry about his speed and his explosiveness, and he is built a little bit like a Richard Sherman-type prospect in terms of he's long, he's rangy. He definitely could play in that Seattle Seahawks hybrid cover three scheme where length is very coveted on the outside. So I, I think his speed could maybe not make him kind of like the flavor of the day for everybody. And then Jeff Gladney, I think some people are a little higher on him than I am. He's a boundary corner, and I think he's a solid player. But when I saw him, I saw him as a guy that was maybe a solid starter, not necessarily a difference maker. And he's tough, he's competitive, he's feisty, he'll tackle. But he plays boundary corner, and sometimes they roll him up a lot, meaning they play the safety over top, and so he's able to be a little aggressive because he has help. Um, I'm just leery on giving him a pure first-round grade because I just don't know, man. I just don't know if his his game warrants, hey, you know what, he's going to come in, he's going to be an immediate impact player, a day-one starter. Yeah, and so you think four, five corners. I had Trayvon Diggs uh, going off the board with the very last pick of the first round to the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, thought that made some sense. And then uh, Jalen Johnson, A.J. Terrell were in my first round. Did not have Gladney. Um, obviously had Henderson and Okuda. Um, but where Okuda ends up could be you know, largely determined by what the trades that we see in the first round end up being. You know, whether the Lions get out of the three spot, then does Okuda fall from you know, a potential spot there at three down to seven with the Panthers, uh, down to nine with the ja- – I think he'd be a slam dunk with the Jaguars there at nine after getting rid of Ramsey and Boye. Yeah, I, th- I think so. I, th- I think the big conversation with Okuda is – there's so much to like about Akuda. To me, um, the only reason I brought up the Darrell Revis um, comparison is not necessarily because of the ball skills, but because of the overall consistency in his game. Um, there are some guys that when you look at, uh, you just say, man, this guy never puts himself in a position where he can get beat. He may not be like the high-end turnover machine or the guy that kind of delivers these game-changing plays. But when you line them up out there, you know each day I'm going to get a good day's work. I'm going to get a solid performance. I'm not going to get many mess-ups. And the teams that uh, win on his side, the players that win, they're going to have to earn it. And I think there's comfort to that. I think the reason why the debate is so split between he and C.J. Henderson, C.J. Henderson has more sizzle splash pizzazz to his game you see him blitz off the edge you see him make these uh uh, pbus where he gets his hands on the ball he just appears to be more active he can play off and does a great job of shadowing guys from off and so uh there are a lot of db coaches that kind of like that hey we can sit this guy off we can use some of our zone stuff and he can make plays uh the big thing with akuda and henderson just making sure they go to the right scheme but i think both of these guys are terrific in their own right yeah, um, I mentioned uh, Okuda as, a, as as maybe a surefire pick there for the Jaguars if he's available at nine. I think I ended up giving the Jags a pick with their second first rounder, and I think it was Jalen Johnson uh, out of Utah. Obviously, dealt with the shoulder, had the shoulder surgery that maybe teams are kind of de- working through as well. But plenty of talent um, that we've seen. There. Yeah, really, really, like really, really feisty. It's funny. Um, prior to the combine, I did not know about the injury, and so there were there were times that I was worried. Uh, when I'm looking at the team, I'm like, man, this dude does not throw his body up in there to make tackles and whatever. And for someone who is so competitive on the outside, 
it was startling to see him not necessarily engaged in the tackling. And so then when you talk to scouts, they're like, hey, he had a either a torn labor or he had something that was affecting his shoulder. Trying to so protect maybe it, yeah. Yeah, he, he didn't engage. And the fact that you now go back and be like, wow, this dude played an entire season with that? Like, um, that's a real tough guy that can kind of endure and overcome that. So he is a, a prospect that a lot of people like. And, Red, I, I've said this. Like, once you get past um, – I had to do a piece today that – where I'm projecting all pros and pro bowlers from this draft. And the thing that is different, we talk about the depth of this class. I only had 15 what I would call blue chip players, like players that I felt like in any draft, these guys would be first rounders or whatever. But in saying that, picks 15 to 40, there are a lot of guys that have similar grades. And because every draft board is a snowflake, we're going to have some surprises happen on night one of the draft because guys that we say, hey, he's a second-round pick, he may go in the first round. That's the kind of stuff we love. Give me the chaos. Give me the mayhem on night one. Let's uh, let's have some fun with this thing. And is that coming out? Is that the latest edition of The Notebook? Or is that uh... – Yeah, it's just a different piece, just kind of like okay. – um, Gilbrand and DJ have their top 150 or whatever. Yeah. My way of doing it is kind of bring it up in sectors and then talk about the red star players that oh, I, I liked it. in the class. Okay. I got you. Um, all right. So that's a look at the cornerback class. We talked about, I mean, we've talked at length here about the top receivers in this class, and we certainly expect three, probably sure thing to get Justin Jefferson and four wide receivers in this draft. Do we get five or six, Bucky, in the Man, first round? You know, like, like, there could be five or six guys that are deserving to be first rounders. But Red, we've talked about how many receivers are here. I do wonder when we get to the twenties and you're a team and you're kind of looking at the board and depending on what your needs are, say there's an offensive tackle that's staring you in the face. Well, you know, I can get this offensive tackle now and there's so many wide receivers. I could come back in the second round and get the guy that I want. And with the success that we've seen these second round as third round receivers have uh sure. aj brown terry mclaurin um debo samuels uh there are more guys that are like man i can i can find a legitimate guy in the second round so maybe i can expand my first round uh resources on another position maybe one of those big four positions that we talk about quarterback left tackle pass rusher and corner and so i think we may only see four wide receivers in the first round. And I think there are a lot of guys that would be right on the fringes. And those fringe players could be a T. Higgins, a Brandon Ayuk, um, guys like that. A Jalen Rager could be on the fringes that comes out of nowhere and ends up as a, as a first-round pick. Um, those are the guys that I begin to see. Denzel Mims' name has kind of been thrown around as maybe Chanel, a first-round sure. pick. LaVisca Chenault for, forever was, was, was that into the injuries yeah. and then the, the workout – kind of send them on a tumble. But there are a number of players that are right on that borderline of first, second round that they can play and we expect them to make an impact. Teams just may kind of save their chips and wait. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you on that. Like, uh, you know, part of the conversation has to be, all right, do we take the fifth wide receiver when the window on the elite offensive tackles is closing and – you know, and there's a drop off from a bigger drop off from the seventh tackle to the eighth tackle or the eighth to the ninth than there is from the fifth to the sixth receiver. And that's got to be a, I mean, that's a, that's got to be a conversation because that's how you stack your board, right? That is absolutely how you stack your board. And that has to be a really, really a really good conversation. It has to be one of those jump off points. And when we do cluster buster on path to the draft, we typically do it with the same position. The true cluster buster would be to take, okay, so here we have uh, at offensive tackle, we have Joshua Jones, Austin Jackson, Ezra Cleveland. At wide receiver, we have T. Higgins, Brandon Ayuk um, sitting there. If all five guys are there, how we rank them in order and go from one to five with just that cluster of similarly graded guys. And then that ultimately determines how you as a team proceed when it comes to to making the pick on draft day. Hey, Brandon Ayuk is a better player than Joshua Jones. We feel like we're going to get more bang for the buck because he's an upgrade over what we currently have. So let's hand the card in. You know, if your need is more pressing at offensive tackle, then obviously that deck will be shuffled a little differently based on the immediate impact. 
but there are a lot of similarly graded guys at different positions. And that overall cluster buster is going to be fascinating to see how people decide and determine which guys to go. Yep. Uh, I'm with you. And uh, that that's going to be really fun. I mean, the t- 20 to 32 is always a bit of a crapshoot, right? It's always tough to really project how that's going to fall based on what we've seen in the first 19 picks. Um, so that that last third of the first round is usually uh, pretty crazy. We also see teams kind of flying back into the back end of the first round that are, you know, or, or teams that maybe didn't have a first round pick that are trying to get in to get their guy. You know, that that kind of stuff really, uh, really fires, uh, fires things up in that final uh, 10, 11, 12 picks. So it's really tough. And uh, this year, maybe more than any, um, could be really wild to see what ends up happening. It's so many different names being considered for those final 10 picks. Uh, so... Buck, with that, man, that's that's about it for this episode. Any final thoughts or, or a final prediction that you want to get out there about this year's uh, this year's draft and first round in particular? No, I th- look, I think it's going to be a fascinating study. I think it's going to be a fascinating study in uh, how scouts go about their business. And I also believe that this draft could be a tipping point for a different direction in terms of the way the scouting community goes about evaluating the process. If teams are able to feel really good about their draft and see kind of the fruits of their labor play out on the field this fall, I do wonder if we will see more teams kind of abandon the pro game, the pro day circuit, uh, leave some of the combine stuff out of it, and really just kind of make the evaluations based off of the film, what they saw in the fall, what they saw at All-Star Games, and then kind of put their pencils down because they haven't had the opportunity to lean on the athleticism stuff and the numbers, and that has made it probably one of the purest processes that we've seen in some time. Uh, you know what? I skipped one uh, skipped one thing that we wanted to get into. This last this will be our final thought. Give me a surprise first rounder. You mentioned Jalen Rager as a guy who could jump into that first round conversation. Anybody else that we haven't talked about that you know we're kind of pegging right now as a day two kind of guy? But hey, maybe a team really falls in love and could jump in there. You know, it's funny because Isaiah Wilson would normally be he would fit it. Yeah. Um, the guy that I thrown in it because he wasn't necessarily um, in the conversation. I think because of the, the, the corners, I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to talk about like the love that we've heard so much for Jeff Gladney. Like that has to be coming from a real place. We've heard too many people talk about him being a first round pick. That comes from someone talking that really loves him and adores him as a pick. I'm going to say because the corners are so closely gl- grouped together, he could be a surprise first round pick. And he's a surprise because two weeks ago, there wasn't any conversation about a TCU standout being a first-round pick. How about how about a possibility of two TCU Horned Frogs in the first round with Gladney and Rager? Oh, That'd be something, huh? That. Um, so I think uh, I'm not going to say that it's a a shot. I'm not going to say that I'm expecting this that that a that this person or group could sneak into the first round. But I will say that I would be shocked if we get a first-round tight end. That's that that would surprise me. Uh, that, now, that would surprise any me too. tight end. I know there's been some conversation about Cole Komet um, being up there. And, and when I like him, like I think he's a big-body playmaker. I don't necessarily view him as a game-changing talent. Uh, I think he, he he's good, not necessarily great, but he does have some appeal as a red zone weapon. And for a team in need of a tight end, i.e. the New England Patriots, there it is. maybe, just maybe, he kind of is the guy that they kind of link up to, uh, especially if they're not, the there's not someone yeah. that they don't necessarily like, you know? Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. Remember the uh, the Patriots got Rob Gronkowski in the second round, uh, and so he didn't play his final season at Arizona. That's I think right. The most remarkable thing is <laughs> Rob Gronkowski did not play his final year at Arizona. Is uh, fiftieth overall and becomes arguably the greatest tight end to ever play the game. Uh, you talk about risk reward. Man, yeah, that was one, right? That was that, that's the definition of safe slash risky pick, and uh, certainly paid off. Bill Belichick, as usual, knew it all before everybody else. Uh, so, look, uh, that's going to do it for this, our final preview episode here on Move the Sticks. Uh, but just a heads up for you. Um, so you're going to see Bucky on our draft kickoff shows on Thursday and Friday. That's really exciting. Um, excited to watch you with uh, Colleen and the crew uh, getting us ready 
uh, for uh, days one and two. And then also, you'll, Bucky, you're going to hang out with me after the draft as well, right? At least on night one with some of the digital post-game shows I, that we're going to do. I, I guess so. Way to, way to bring the news to me. Yeah, I guess we're going to do some of the digital post-game stuff. Okay. Uh, on, what is that? On, on uh, Thursday I and think Friday? Thursday night. Yeah, Thursday, Friday night. And then um, we've, we've, we're definitely going to do a Move the Sticks wrap-up show on Thursday after the first round. So For sure. Definitely be, Absolutely. I, 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 I don't know. I may, have, I may have broken inaccurate news to you, but we'll... No, uh, no, we'll no. Play. It's cool. I got it on my schedule. I got it on my schedule. It's cool. I was just, I was just giving you a hard time. I was giving you a hard yeah, time. Yeah. So a lot of a lot of fun stuff still to come. Even though this is our final preview episode, um, looking forward to that. By the way, if you're still looking for your draft fix, Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, to Tungavailoa, the 360 series. They're all out right now on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Uh, you can also get them NFL.com/slash MTS video for some of those uh, video components. Uh, let's see, we've got the uh, Move the Sticks video show coming out on the 23rd, noon Eastern, on NFL.com and YouTube. And then, of course, check us out tonight, Path to the Draft, Tuesday and Wednesday, our final preview episodes, Path to the Draft, uh, 8 p.m. Eastern time. Um, and we'll also have a Move the Sticks recap show on day two. I think Lance Zerline is going to join us for that. Um, so a lot of fun stuff still to come here. I hope you guys all enjoy the draft. You've enjoyed the content. And uh, be sure to check out more videos on YouTube, youtube.com slash NFL podcast. Uh, for Bucky Brooks, I'm Rhett Lewis. Thanks so much for hanging out with us and listening to Move the Sticks presented by FedEx. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does all the work for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billing, scheduling, and more. And you can resell on Picasso's Marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. Visit Picasso to see thousands of listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O dot com. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA.